0: This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it is time for Avoid the Maze. You know, that journey through life that we're all on. And what I love about having my guests on this program is that I'm always getting a surprise. And I'm sure Tina's going to surprise us a little bit, too. Um, Now, when we start out, when we're young kids, when we're uh, graduating from high school, We have all these great plans in our head, but most of us don't take that same journey. And I know Tina is an author. We're going to talk about her book. But Tina, give me a little bit of background. Did you expect when you were 15 or 20 that this is where you were going to be at this stage of your life?
1: You know, um, I have no idea. So I have been a composer. uh, I write music out of a classical tradition for um, almost 50 years, uh, maybe 47. And I'm also uh, recently uh, published this book, Let Your Heart Be Broken, Life in Music. You know, I always thought I was going to be a ballerina or a scientist or a poet. But when I went to college, uh, I was I was a very good pianist. My mother had gotten me to play the piano. And I took a composition class because you had to. You? And um, they always believed that composers should be performers and performers should be composers, which is unusual. And so I was in this composition class and I thought, well, this is ridiculous. I don't know anything about it. And I started to write music. And within a semester, I was completely hooked. Um, it was a language that I could speak where I was in my life. I could speak my truth, but nobody would know. You know that idea of somebody said that the the artist endeavor is to be heard but not to be found. So that idea that I could fully express myself, but people couldn't say, oh, do you have a problem with your mother? (laughs) So it had a kind of anonymity to it. And when I started writing music, I really didn't know who I was. And it really took me 10 years of composing until I was in my thirties, that I realized that there were things, there were traumas in my life that I had not addressed and that i was holding my my daughter my newborn daughter and i thought wow i could put all these traumas in a beautiful little box and wrap it up with a beautiful little bow and i could just hand it to her right or i or i could get to work and what was wonderful of that work uh, to really start looking at my traumas and putting language to them and emotion and trying to sort through them was that I was continuing to write about myself. So it was also that I was composing about these feelings in my music. And I think that was a real benefit. So your original question, you know, I always wanted to do something creative. I, you know, so, um, but, you know, I was a child of the 60s and there were not role models for girls of the 60s, certainly not in music. You could be a piano teacher, you could be a pianist, maybe, probably not. So that I was fortunate enough to find this particular avenue of creativity was uh, really wonderful.
0: And it sounds like you had the support of at least your mother who understood, you know, your interest, your talent. It was sort of like, you know, maybe standing in the wings a little bit saying, it's okay. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I think my mother loved the romantic
1: idea, but she would always say to me sort of as if, wait a minute, you shouldn't have, how did you think of that, about this? She would always say, I never imagined you'd be a composer, but it wasn't like, it was more like, wait a minute, this was out of my sphere of thinking, how did you manage this? So it was... A little bit complicated. You know, sure. I have a, a very complicated relationship with my mother, as I think lots of people do.
0: You know, well, it's not. you know, and I grew up in the same time period that you did. And um, I remember coming home my junior year in high school saying to my parents, I want to be a communications major. And my parents looked at me like, No, you'll go, you'll get a teaching degree. And I said, No. And they said, well, what do you wanna do with that? And I said, well, I wanna be in broadcasting of some sort. I want to make a difference. I want my voice to be heard. Mm -hmm. My parents looked at me like I was the strangest person on earth. Um, And a year later, when I started college, they both told me, you're gonna get your teaching degree. Mm -hmm. And sort of behind their back, they didn't see what classes I was taking. Um, I took a two-year program in communications. And at the end of the second year, I called them and I said, do you want to come to graduation? And my mother said, you're that smart. You graduated in two years not four. And I said, no, I have my associate's degree. Mm -hmm. And with that, they said, I think it's time for you to come home. Hmm. And I look back and at the time I was angry. But when I look back at it now, I understand there weren't role models. There weren't women really in broadcasting. Uh, There was uh, Betty Friedan who would, you know, stand there and look at a refrigerator. Um, And they didn't, they thought, you know, you may be good looking, you may have, you know, a decent figure, but no, you're not going to be that. Um, And it took another almost 40 years before I completed my degree. And I started podcasting and saying, "Guess what I'm doing?" So I understand. That's a wonderful, I wonderful
1: story. You know, my mother was always okay with me being a composer, and that was very, very nice. Uh, She didn't understand it. She wasn't quite sure, like like how, how I'd managed to get to there. But she did like that idea. And, and, and you are very right that, that in that way, she really did stand with me on, on, on that creative endeavor. I think also that she was a very bright woman. She had been a, a, a professor, a university professor with five children, but she wanted to be a writer and never could be because of the family oh. obligations. And um, she was quite resentful of that. And I I think for me, that was very informative that um, I didn't want to get to, I I was okay if I got to my end of my life and I didn't feel I was a successful composer. However, I didn't think I could handle being bitter. And she was bitter, Um, not all the time, but you know, occasionally it would come up, what I gave up, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I think being a second generation feminist, the first generation was like, you can have your job and your family and do it all. And guess what? You can't. You're gonna to have to make sure. some very hard choices uh, and really refine what what where your energy is going. Um, so um, that was very helpful to me, but um, having this voice to explore myself and i'm i wouldn't say that all composers do that all artists don't do that in fact you know some writers do explore who they are what they are uh some don't so i think it's very individual for me i have always been the template for my music and so after 10 years of a lot of therapy uh, and work on that, and writing things like I have a piece called Dark Child Sings, which was this dark child in me get getting a voice. It was for four cellos. Um, uh, I started to then move into a different relationship uh, where I now then wanted to explore my relationship to the world, to the outer world, or to the higher plane maybe to energy or the great spirit or god or whatever that word is for you sure that was my interest you know what is my relationship to the world so then pieces became like the blue curve of the earth which is our love of of the earth or the light of angels that angels dance endlessly in the joy of being with god i was thinking wow what would that be like to be that joyful that all you could do is dance? I mean, what a wonderful image. So it, yeah. So then the next 20 years, so now we're getting to about 40 years of composing. I, I was writing in relationship to that exterior thing. And it's been really fun in these last five years. I think, uh, with my white hair, um, um, you know, I don't care so much what what people are thinking. It's more like I'm I'm interested in what I am thinking now in this time. So my titles are becoming a, a lot shorter, a lot more personal. I have a piece called Weepan, which is uh, the Anglo-Saxon word for weeping. And I wrote that after my uh, marriage dissolved. Um, uh, I have a piece called Hush, which is about Hushing your baby, holding your child and hushing them, you know, that that moment of calming another little body Um, hum is about, I don't know, when I was a child, people used to hum and they used to whistle. And I loved that. And so it's a memory of that. And in my book, I talk a lot about my odd childhood and some of the trauma that came about that and how I compose, so it's certainly, if you're interested in artist's journey or women's single parent journey, you know, having a, being a single mother um, and raising of a child and uh, supporting yourself in an artistic career, this would, I think, has proven to be of great interest to many, many
0: readers, so I'm very pleased with that. You know, Um, what I'm hearing is, A story that i hear a lot of women you know 50 and up at this point Mm -hmm. where our childhood is broken in some way maybe Mm -hmm. not to the point that it's totally fractured but as we have been growing up and looking back we're finding there were things that were missing Mm -hmm. um, and we didn't have the voice to express it and then once we got that voice There are so many of us who are now coming out of that shell saying, okay, I get to tell my story. If you don't want to listen, it's okay. But I'm going to tell it because it's going to make me a stronger individual and I will be better for those around me.
1: Well, and also, I Now, I have a, a daughter who is almost 40, but then I have stepchildren who are late 20s and 30s. Now, I might be mistaken about this, but it seems like the younger kids are more interested in hearing stories of with women with wisdom. And I think, you know, some people say to me, oh, when you get older, people just ignore you. And I always say, well, then wave your arms.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: Speak out, be visible, don't don't accept what's going on. It, yes, yes, it happens. And it's gonna be what it's gonna be, but I can at least operate productively in my realm. And I think I was just at a conference, a chamber music conference, and they were talking about being a parent and being a performer or an artist Excuse me. And um, can you bring that artistic self and your parenting, you know, how do those worlds relate? And, you know, I could really say things that were meaningful to them, because, you know, I have been through this. And, and I'm also so interested in my writing, in finding words that describe it. What are the words that, because being an artist is, in fact, all about the self. I don't want to say it's selfish, but it is about the self. And being a parent is all about caring for another. So, how do you hold those two worlds? And my feeling is don't get them too close because they will clot, you know, there is such a friction between them. It's better to say, oh, they're separate. And I am okay being all about myself in my art world, in my working world. And all about my child in my my parenting world, and that I don't have to bring them together in some sort of union that seems to be always pushing against each other. And so I do think that women of our age really need to reach out and tell our stories, because I think, especially since you're, you know, so many of you are doing these wonderful podcasts that is getting information out to You know, it's agency. You're saying, I want to create myself. I have the agency. I've created this. You can listen. And I think that is such a wonderful uh, gift to the world. So I just want to thank you and all the other podcasters, because as an artist, especially as a composer, to have this form to talk about my music when I'm usually I'm just talking to music people and I'm just talking to my crowd, but to talk about the vibrancy of contemporary music, that it does speak of our lives, uh, just the way Taylor Swift speaks about our life, but in a different kind of genre. Sure, absolutely. um, So I really appreciate
0: having these opportunities. Well, you know, it's interesting because I have two sons. Uh, One is in his mid forties, one is in his early thirties. And the youngest one, Moved away from home about a year ago, um, a thousand miles away, which, you know, broke my heart, but I've gotten used to it. Um, But I took over his business. I had been podcasting, but he started New Cleveland Radio. It was Mm going to be all about unique sports and um, bringing people in that really speak their minds. And then he started working for a sports team. And he could no longer keep the radio. Was he, was he a Ted Lasso? <laughs> yeah. And so I said to him, look, I'm doing it independently. Why don't I take it over? If someday you choose to come back, it'll be up and running. And in the beginning, he didn't want to know anything about what I was doing. But in the past year, he's heard my voice, not mm. necessarily listening to the podcast, but through some of my guests who have been on and he will go, you know, mom, women your age have so much to say. And he said, I never wanted to listen to you before. Mm -hmm. He said, but now I'm interested. Mm -hmm. And I find that he will call me and he'll ask me, you know, Mm -hmm. things so that he can better understand the people that he's working with. And I said to him, one of the reasons I started doing this I needed to get to know myself better mm-hmm. and how well can I do that if I'm talking to people like you thinking, mm-hmm. you know, prior to me starting, I would, if somebody would have said, why don't we talk to Tina Davidson today Edgar? oh, she, you know, she's a writer. She's a composer. Oh, I'm not in her world, but mm-hmm. I'm finding, you know what? That's not true. Right, we all have something in common. Mm-hmm. We can help each other grow and live a more vibrant life.
1: Absolutely, and share the wisdom and, you know, talk about ways that uh, it had things that have been helpful to me that have worked for me. Maybe they'll work for you. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying this worked for me. Um, why don't you know? I'm going
0: to share my story. Yeah, I, I agree totally. So as you were composing music, what made you decide that, hey, I can be an author and put together a book and sell it because it's a different, it's a different genre. Yes. Well, I had always journaled,
1: Uh, you know, I have my journals from 1967, you know, in purple ink, you know, my girlfriends are mean to me. So I've always journaled. But I think um, when I got into my thirties, I was really serious about it. And I was serious about it as part of my creative process. So every morning when I'd sit down to compose, I would journal for about a half an hour, 45 minutes, and I would read for half an hour, 45 minutes. Get it out there in this in words and get more. You know, feed myself. That's that's. You know, I think as an artist, you always have to feed yourself. Well, as as anybody, as a parent, you have to feed yourself. So I had, you know, just journal and I wrote copiously. I mean, there were some times where I never wrote about what I was doing necessarily, but I wrote about what I was writing, the music I was writing. And I wrote about what I was feeling or going through. Um, and so when I put this book together, I went back and um, my publisher said to me, "Well, how many how much of the those journals did you use?" And I said, mm, maybe ten percent, but probably more like five percent, because most of it's it's blah blah, blah, blah blah. you know, complain, complain, right. or oh my goodness, or whatever, whatever." But I really was looking for, am I writing about music? Am I writing about my life as an artist? And then when I created this book, I created it a little bit like my opera, where it has two different stories. And I'm, I'm very compelled, I think, because as a child, I was very fractured by some of my traumas. And I sort of developed, I don't want to say different personalities, but I was always sh- clear that there were voices in my head saying oh you should do this and I'd go like why are you you know who are yeah. you
0: um,
1: and harnessing their energy and their spirit and quieting them down and giving them a place to live um, had very much been a part of my process so I in my book has got a short story about my life and then a year that's about 25 pages of journals that is in my 30s so it, in a funny way, it's the journals are looking a little bit back at my life and then another short story. And so um, that was a really interesting uh, form that I created, at least for me. And I think it it reads very well. Um, but I think, you know, I I had been uh, leaving my my marriage. It was very traumatic for me and I had to write this book And it might be about trying to figure out where I had been so I could see more clearly about where I was going. It might have been a little bit about legacy. I'm of this age and I want to write about it. I think what really has been very powerful for for me and people reading it and reviewing it is that. I've started to put language to something that has no language. Okay. Um, and uh, sometimes people feel like, oh, well, I didn't talk enough about the creative process. Well, they want to know the nuts and bolts, like how did I use chords or what notes did I use? or And that's not terribly interesting to me, but also it kind of distances a reader who doesn't have, it's sort of like... Mm-hmm learning about physics and they go into words that you don't even know about. You're like, what, what do they mean? <laughs> uh, so, um, I just have, I keep, I have a blog, uh, you can go on my website, Tina and there's a blog there. And I continue to write about music and relevance, or right now I'm writing a, a blog about being, as I talked before, about being a parent and, and being creative, um, tangentially one of the difficulties with being an artist and being creative although I think it is in different disciplines too but I just don't know about it is that an artist brings a certain kind of excellence to their work they're working on fingering or phrasing or the performance and there is this real sense of not perfection but excellence and that's uh you got to be careful when you're a parent about that because it might demonstrate itself in controlling your child or not giving them choices. So that is very hard as an artist to have that very concrete sense of excellence. And then you go into the parenting world and you're like, Oh boy, this is a big mess, you know? <laughs> and that's, what's wonderful about being a parent and being, A child and having that relationship. It's messy. It's not
0: neat. Yes.
1: You know, not well set up.
0: As I listened to you about composing, uh, again, my youngest son um, showed an interest in music at a very young age. And at first, my mother in law was the only one who knew he had an interest. He would not sing in front of me or his dad, but he'd go to his grandmother's house and she had an organ. She could barely play it, but she played it just enough. And he would have concerts with her and sing. Love it. it. And he was, I think, like in second grade. And one of his friends heard him sing and told the teacher and said he should have the lead in the Christmas play. We had no idea. We go to the Christmas play and there he is singing. It's like, who is this kid? (laughs) Um, He was in choir did all the things that he enjoyed doing. He has an uncle who is uh, a music producer. And his uncle finally said to him, "Okay, do you want to come in and record something in the studio? And he did. And he got this bug. But as much as he had the bug for music, he was so afraid of the musician life because Mm -hmm. he had heard how difficult it is. (laughs) And so he would go that route and then pull back and go that route and pull back. Um, He's not in that industry anymore, but he is still writing music. Oh, wonderful. um, He's now at the point where he finally said, you know, I could make some extra money. I could find a gig someplace and I can go and strum a guitar and sing my lyrics. And I just sat back and thought, this is wonderful. You're following yes. your, your needs. Not yes. Mine. Yes, I love to hear you sing. I yes. think you've got a great voice, but that's me. I'm mom. Mm-hmm, okay? mm-hmm. But if it's what you want to do, I don't care if you're 10 years old, 30, or 60, or 90. If you have the ability to do it and the desire, right, want Right. And so I think it's interesting as I listen to you that, you know, gray hair or not, this is what you want to do. And this is what you're going
1: to do. Well, and when I teach, um, I always say to the parents or to the student, I'm not trying to make you into a pianist or a cellist or a composer. What I'm trying to do is to identify your creativity and say yes to it and highlight it and keep on reminding you that we are creative people and that is your jewel that is your thing that you carry with yourselves whatever you do it doesn't matter i don't i of course i'd love you to be a composer of course i'd love you to be a musician but i'd more want you to honor your creativity believe in your creativity and use it and i think a lot of times um, in teaching, we qualify things. Or, well, you're not that you're smart, but not that smart. or it's sort of a little bit like what your parents did. You exactly. know they they were trying to bring a sense of excellence to your life by limiting your choices. Um, and, um, you know, you have to make those yourself. You have to own them, and you have to own the successes and the mistakes. But that sense of creativity, I'm always saying, I'm in a place of saying, yes. I am so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're performing or writing music or being part of this industry that I love. I want, honestly, if I had my druthers, I'd take over the world and make everybody a composer.
0: <laughs> so,
1: you know, uh, I, I want, to me, um, the sense of inclusion is so important that I embrace everybody rather than saying, oh, you should be so amazed at me because I'm a composer and I have recordings and I'm a classical composer and I get performed with orchestras. You know, that's that's very exclusive and I think very off-putting and I always wanna bring people in.
0: Well, and we all wanna use our talents independently and differently, you mm-hmm. know? Um, my brother, who is a music producer, um, back in high school, uh, he he sang in the choir and he formed a, a little trio. And he did things in music. And my parents sort of looked at him like, what are you doing? You know, you, you're not going to make a dime. And he went to college and um, was working on his degree in architecture. It was a five-year program. Wow. And the month before graduation, he walked away from the program, packed up his Volkswagen and moved to the West Coast to -hmm. pursue music. Wow. And my parents were like, are you an idiot? Um, (laughs) You shouldn't do that. But within five years, my parents were like, look what he's doing. look at his talent isn't that nice isn't that
1: nice what a nice uh what you know it really shows how much flexibility your parents ultimately had that that they were able to see it and again you know guys were allowed to do things and it's still true um you know there's less restriction for them and he might have been crazy but I think that um there was more flexibility for Absolutely. Yeah, But I
0: will say my mother did come along uh, later in her years for me. Um, She was in her last stages of life. I was living with her and I had a podcast to do. And I said, mom, I'm going out in the other room. I'm doing a podcast. I'll be back in about an hour. She grabbed my hand and she said, are you a famous broadcaster? (laughs) And my answer was, I'm the most famous broadcaster in this apartment. And that, but that changed how I looked at myself. Mm. I didn't have to have a million likes out there. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to have the biggest following. I had to do what I liked and what made me right. feel good. And, you know, I can't thank her enough for those, for asking. Isn't because it nice? we were finally connecting on the point that, yeah you're finally doing what you wanna do in your life. Yes. So here you were composing, raising a family. Um, did you struggle on, it's family time, now it's composing time?
1: You know, I had two families. My uh, my first marriage which uh, my daughter, uh, and I was mostly a single parent uh, with her. And what I struggled with, which all mothers struggle with is uh, appropriate childcare um finding the time for myself um i have to say there is something about for me about my composing life it's a little bit like having an alternate existence uh, or maybe a secret lover or you know it's so that I would say that many times when I was with my daughter, I might be preoccupied with thinking about my other life right. and wanting to pursue that. And that that was, I think, a difficulty f- for her uh, and uh, certainly uh, a concern of mine. Um, but um, I think it was in my second marriage where my husband had these wonderful step... I had three stepchildren who had various struggles, and they were younger. Um, and there, the care started to fall more and more on my shoulders. And I think that's something that happens to step parents. I do think that step parents are sort of unsung heroes uh, with a bad rap, you know? <laughs> um, yep. And, um, but the amount of care that step parents have to take on uh, particularly the women, as their husbands go out and pursue their their journeys, um, I now have to reflect on the fact that for those 12 or 15 years, I really lost a lot of ground in my career. Um, and I'm somewhat embarrassed about that. I was old enough that, and I was at a, a place in my career that I... I I don't know what I was thinking, of. although, you know, a frog in boiling water doesn't notice <laughs> for a long time. So, I mean, it's true. It's all very incremental. You know, at first you don't, you're not doing much, but gradually over time where there is a crisis in a the family, there are always things that come sure. up and um, some sort of mess coming up. And, and so you accommodate a little bit more or there's a change in jobs and you accommodate a little bit more. Um, but and I think that was one of the reasons I wrote my book is that I needed to collect myself as I left that marriage um, and sort of figure out how am I going to recreate myself? How am I going to um, get myself back on the map? Sure. Absolutely. And writing this book, uh, I have had two rec- recording that came out at uh, the end of the year called "Hymn of the Universe. And I have a big recording coming out in uh, late April uh, with the Jasper String Quartet. So, you know, I've been working very hard in the last 10 years to uh, get back in step with my career. And um, I think, you know, make sure that the music that I've written that I really believe in. And I think that's such an important thing for women is to really believe in yourself that they have a voice in the world as well, that they're not sort of left behind like, oh yeah, I wrote that, it's back there,
0: but to give uh, those pieces still a voice. Well, I'm so glad we had this time together as Carol Burnett used to end her show. Um, (laughs) Tell us a little bit about how my listeners can find you and how they can get your book. Oh, well, Let Your Heart
1: Be Broken. Life and Music of a Classical Composer is available on Amazon.com. Just type in Tina Davidson on your browser, and I'm sure it will come out. Uh, my website is tinadavidson.com, and I am also on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, I have a, a professional page, and you can also become a friend if you, if you decide that. Um, and I always want to hear from people... Um, Particularly, you know, in the music world, you don't hear a lot from people who've listened to your music and love it. But in the writing world, you know, you get reviews on Amazon, you get you get emails. It's just wonderful. I
0: just love that feedback and that connection. Well, for the last seven years, I've been interviewing a lot of musicians basically because of my brother and his connections. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I have to say is that um, musicians work very, very hard at at their skill. And not all of them get the opportunity to perform or to have everybody mm-hmm. hear it. And yes, mm-hmm. we can all put things online, but that doesn't mean somebody's going to find it. And so that's what I love doing is letting people know that, yes, hey, here's some music. Maybe you've never heard it before, but maybe you'll like it. And I also have to admit that in the beginning, when I started doing music interviews, I was very choosy. Mm -hmm. I only wanted to do music that I thought I liked. Uh Then I thought, boy, I'm missing out because there's Mm -hmm. probably something out there that I wouldn't have thought of. And I really do like it. And one happened to be very hard rock now I don't typically go for it but Mm -hmm. this musician I could relate to now was Mm -hmm. it because I interviewed them maybe but at the same time it's like it opened up my world I heard something new something different so we're Mm going to have all your uh connections in the show right
1: on Spotify I have a lot of recordings out and um yeah, I, I I really welcome new listeners to, you know, uh, I would say, listen to violinist Hilary Hahn, Blue Curve of the Earth. Now, she actually recorded it twice on Deutsche Grammophon. It's a very short piece, uh, like three or four minutes, but it really will give you an introduction to the kind of music I write. I love yeah.
0: it. Well, yeah. we're going to put all that in the show notes. In okay. the meantime, get back to writing. Thank you. All right. Talk to you again, Tina. Bye-bye Thank now. you so much. Bye-bye.